stargazers, and welcome to 7th House Astrology, where I take any topic that is either related to astrology, any topic that is related to romance. I investigate it under the lens of Sinistry Astrology, otherwise known as Love or Relationship Astrology. I am your host, Sandra Misek, and I'm so glad that you guys have actually joined me today. So, Stargazers, I know I say this about every episode. Every episode is always very exciting and always very wonderful. I always look forward to introducing a new topic every week, and this week is no different. Um, so, when it comes down to what many astrologers call the quote-unquote minor aspects, mainly getting into the asteroids, I find that this is kind of a huge disadvantage as an astrologer or as an astrology nerd myself in the regard that actually these asteroids that are very common that come up within our chart can actually really glean a lot of great insights into ourselves, into our relationships, and also into the chart as well, too, um, which I found to be very interesting. This week's topic, even though um, the asteroids are pretty new to me still, mainly because they've been delegated as the quote-unquote minor aspects, I am actually going to be diving into Juno this week. Uh, Juno is really very fascinating in the regard that it actually holds a lot of, you know, Juno's placement in your chart actually holds a lot of synastry value and value when it comes down to relationships. So it's kind of already embedded into her meaning, which I thought was really rather neat. So just to kind of dive right into it, I'm kind of, I'm going to approach it like I did with Chiron. So in order to understand Juno better and to kind of understand, well, I'm going to actually further this with another little prelude of mine. So because the asteroids, even though they give us a very much a deeper meaning in our chart, they are the very archetypes in our charts that we don't really recognize right away uh, when we kind of come to read them and when we come to discover um, these asteroids in our charts and where they're located, you know, which house they're located in and also the sign uh, it's located in. The reason being is that a lot of the asteroids reveal a lot of our inner, like our most inner work um, machinations inside of us. And really, it, it kind of takes a lot of a little bit of soul searching and a little bit of going more in depth and beneath the surface that the personal planets usually provide to us. And that sometimes I feel like the planets in our charts can provide to us. I mean, I find even like the generational plants are a little bit surface compared to the asteroids where it's like uh, deep work is actually really required. So in order to understand Juno a little more fully, and I think with all the asteroids, I think it's it's very fair to get into the mythology of Juno and really what she embodied as a goddess and what that could mean when Juno is in your chart as well. Uh, just a little side note, in order to find Juno, uh, if you are, if you've drawn your natal chart on Astro, extended chart selection is where you would like to go. 
underneath all of the chart selections that you can make, there is a place where it mentions additional objects. You can click onto that. Usually when it comes down to the asteroids, they kind of come up with a screen with the usual asteroids that come up. Juno is one of them. You'd want to click onto that, see your chart, and you'll see where she's positioned in your chart. So with Juno, she was actually the Roman equivalent of Hera in Greek mythology. So um, since both Greek and Roman mythology are very similar to one another, I think I'll refer to Hera for all these purposes, the Greek version, a little bit, because I feel that Hera also has some of her her traits that are in Juno as well, too. But uh, when it comes down to Juno or with Hera, she was actually known to be the goddess of marriage and also of civil unions. The one thing that we've come to know of, whether we're experts in Roman mythology or Greek mythology, we've come to know that, you know, Hera was the wife of Zeus. And actually her battle for the throne was pretty, I think this is one thing that we don't really um, kind of hear a lot of, but I remembered from reading um, mythology, like Greek mythology with Hera and Zeus. I remembered with Hera, she actually fought Zeus for a while for the throne and to be the queen of Mount Olympus. And with Zeus, while he was fighting Hera, one thing that he did notice was that she was very smart. She was very calculating. Um, she actually was very strong. She wouldn't back down from the fight. So he kind of thought to himself, well, I think this is what I'd want for my queen. So instead of fighting for the throne, I think I'm going to make you my queen, Hera. And hence how she became to be... Zeus's wife. Now, because she was Zeus's wife, like I said, that's how she claimed the title of goddess of marriage as well as of civil unions. It was kind of interesting to me that when I was doing research for this week, um, it was actually Llewellyn.com within the article of Pallas, Juno, and Vesta, the three jewels of your astrology chart. In that article, um, the author of that article had mentioned that Juno also meant June. And um, had also pointed out that actually June is the height of wedding season. And what I found, um, or I don't, I don't know what it's, I don't know if this came from Greco-Roman uh, times that if, uh, you know, you had a marriage in June that was to honor Hera or to honor Juno. And I don't know if this is passed down uh, into Western astrology from that time, but I would not be surprised if that happened to be the case in ancient Greek and also ancient Roman times as well. But one one thing that we come to know about Juno was that if there were any sort of disputes in marriage, any sort of disputes when it came to civil law, you know, Juno or Hera, that was your that was your go-to goddess. You know, you prayed to her, you kind of sought for her counsel, you sought for her wisdom, and she would usually usually give it to you as well. Um, however, we also know her as kind of in her more vengeful states. Really, we all know that uh, Zeus and also the 
Roman equivalent of Zeus was a huge Casanova. And I mean, like every other goddess, every other nymph, that's where Zeus would go. That's Zeus's attention. I mean, it's like he was attentive to that nymph. He is attentive, attentive to that other goddess, like a new shiny object within the relationship. And unfortunately for that nymph, unfortunately for that goddess, that's where Hera's wrath would come into play. And, you know, she would bestow a sort of curse or she'd bestow a sort of hurdle for that particular individual. I think it was kind of twofold. The first one was because, yeah, she was mad that Zeus fell for this particular nymph or this particular goddess. But I think the other, the second factor was because she wanted to get rid of the shiny object that Zeus was so attracted to. So it's kind of like she was punishing the actual nymph as well as punishing Zeus for the transgression. Either way, we kind of know her with the wrathful, the vengeful states, what she would bestow, and also that kind of flip side, like when you when you crossed her, you were indeed very sorry. And of course, the, the overall underarching moral of a lot of her myths, and the same thing with Juno, with Juno's myths too, was like, don't cross her, don't, don't undermine her authority, don't cross her in any way, shape, or form. But the reason why I relate my brief understanding and background with Juno and with Hera is that the asteroid, very much like the goddess with Juno, is representative of our views of marriage, our views of relationships, you know, how we come to view marriage, what that means to us, what we want out of a marriage. And again, these are things that are very, um, these are things that are not very obvious and surface from the get-go. Um, in fact, when I actually discovered my Juno placement, it was kind of revelatory. I was like, oh, really? This is, this is interesting. Oh, this sign, really interesting. But, uh, you know, kind of like with Hera, kind of like with Juno, it's what we want out of a marriage, you know, like what we secretly want out of a relationship, what we secretly want out of romance, what we secretly want out of a marriage. But also on top of which, it can reveal like when we're not getting what we want out of our relationship, it can reveal how matters of jealousy, matters of insecurities can come out to play, you know, like with Hera or with Juno, matters of insecurity came very much like almost what I would see as Juno in Scorpio or Juno in Aries would kind of manifest, which was revenge, you know, a vengeful state and possibly indulging in revenge or adult indulging in vengeful states in order to have that hope of getting over that particular individual when it comes to a dissolved relationship, you know, um, that, that would be the, the insecurity of that particular person. But uh, yeah, it highlights like the very enlightening aspects of us as well as the, the shadow sides of us. And again, that's that deep work. 
It comes as no surprise that there are two different sources that mention two different planets, or actually three different planets, really, that Juno is associated with, as well as two different signs that Juno is associated with. So when it comes to Llewellyn.com, Llewellyn.com mentions that Juno, because of the marriage aspect and, you know, wanting commitment, he deals with marriage and commitment, that uh, Juno is actually linked to Libra as well as Venus, um, which makes sense in the regard of marriage, of commitment. Um, Libra is the sign of that, and then Venus is the planet of that as well. But sometimes when we look at Juno and when it comes to why we value what we value, looking at its relationship to Venus can give us some further clarity and further insights as well. Now, uh, Cathay Astrology also mentions that Juno is related to Libra, but in agrees with that, but also is related to Scorpio in the vengeful or the fact that um, Juno can relate or can um, really give insight into our shadow sides and our insecurities as well, too. So in that way, it also relates to Mars and also to Pluto. I also think that it could relate to Mars in the regard that, again, Mars and Venus reveal like how we relate to love in a surface way, whereas Juno relates to love in a more in-depth way. But again, um, looking at Mars, looking at uh, the Venus positions and having that with where that's in relation to the Juno placement in the chart can actually reveal why we do the things that we do. And then, of course, uh, the Pluto um, relationship, why we feel the insecurities that we do when it comes to that relationship. So along with what we value in marriage or what that means to us, I'm actually going to give you guys a personal example of what happened with me. Um, so when I took a look at my Juno placement not too long ago, I actually found to my surprise, I thought like, you know, since all of my asteroids were basically in, you know, uh, Gemini, I thought that Juno would also be in Gemini as well too, and actually was surprised to find that's actually one degree Taurus. And um, normally what many astrologers state is that those who have Juno placed in this area usually value monetary gain in the relationship and also the shadow side is that they will stay in a relationship even if it's not working out if the money is strong but usually marrying somebody of money is very important to them or financial strength is very important to them that didn't really reverberate with me and even when i looked in deeply at my machinations for love and you know if i secretly should want marriage that wasn't a factor for me. I think what really resounded for me more was the security consciousness of Taurus as well, too. Wanting security, and not just in the monetary sense, but just, you know, all the way around in the emotional, the psycho-emotional sense of the factor of it. And then, um, obviously, kind of taking a look at um, where it was positioned to, you know, the house that was positioned in, in the ninth house, it also revealed to me that it's not just about the my partner or my husband making the money 
you know, for hypothetically, if I should have a husband, it's not about him making the funds and bringing home the bacon. It would be ideal for me. And when I usually think about marriages and when I usually think about relationships, the ideal for me is that we both have our own thing going for us in our lives, that we have our jobs to go to, that we have our passions to seek to, and that we're each bringing in the income and the security in the relationship together. And it's not just, it's not like a dynasty sort of relationship, which was what a lot of astrologers kind of described it as being. But again, it it was very interesting because it kind of, kind of, um, caught me or kind of uh, taught me really in all all these ways to kind of look again, shed the, the layers of the onion and look a bit deeper with this. But again, um, that's an example of really like what, what we want out of marriage and really whether we are of marriage material. Sometimes Juno calls into question whether or not we are commitment oriented or whether uh, we do want a relationship or we want a marriage or whether we don't. It also calls into questions like if we secretly, if it's like me where we secretly do want a marriage, Juno can also call into question, especially with the relationship between Venus and Mars, like what's, what's hanging us up? You know, why, why are, do we feel kind of hung up? Why do we feel that we're coming up against walls all the time when it comes to this as well, too? In my personal example, I feel that uh, with Juno, my, that actually is trying, my Juno position is trined my Venus position in Virgo. So really with the Venus position in Virgo, Virgo is all about a conjugal relationship, a very traditional relationship, and also really making sure that you are um, bringing service and, you know, gratitude and dedication to your partner as well, which really kind of links very well with the monetary gain or the security gain of Juno in Taurus. Looking at my Mars position, it's actually sextiled um, because my Mars position is in Cancer. So again, uh, with Cancer bringing in a lot of, you know, emotional nurturing and bringing in a lot of caring into the relationship, which also links up to the caring nature and the very uh, the Venusian nature, if you may, of Taurus as well, too. So I feel like the, those those elements got along, but perhaps the aloofness of Virgo, you know, holding people at arm's length and not and having a lot of trouble trusting people is what's standing in the way of marriage for me. Also, you know, really having like being afraid of the emotional connection, you know, with the, the Mars position in cancer. For me, I kind of have a fear of being like way too emotional and way too emotionally invested in a relationship. I feel like that could also be a hang up. I mean, these are things that could definitely be smoothed over and worked with, but that's definitely something that could be standing in the way of marriage for me. I also think that the insecurity of uh, Juno in Taurus would be a third factor that I will get into a little bit later. But um, it kind of, like I said, with Juno's placement, it kind of helps us to reveal not only what we value in marriages, but what's 
what's hanging us up? Why, why aren't we married? Or if we are married, you know, how we deal with the honeymoon phase, you know, the, the honeymoon phase, obviously, you know, that those first couple of months are not always wedded bliss, you know, how we, how we deal with those hangups and why we're dealing with the hangups that we are in that marriage. And I don't think this just relates to marriage. I also think that this relates to a committed relationship as well, too, when it comes down to Juno. Um, I felt like Elite Daily, as much as I don't always like to use Elite Daily every single time or use like some of the popular sort of sites every time, I did feel that Elite Daily did help me a lot this week with Juno. And uh, one thing that they mentioned was that Juno can be the one element in your chart that can contain the missing ingredient that you're longing for when it comes down to relationships, and particularly if you're looking for committed relationships, without which continual disappointment usually occurs. And I think even if you're not really of marriage material, or you determine that, or you just feel that marriage is just not for you, which is fine, um, you know, again, it, it's the missing ingredient, ingredient, you know, Juno is the missing ingredient for what helps you to be happy in all of your relationships, non-committal, committed, or otherwise. Um, it's, it's the one thing when you kind of recognize what you desire secretly. And like I said, this is a very internally secretly, like subconscious desire that's in the back of your mind, not, not really surface, but when you come to recognize that it helps you to alleviate some of those continual disappointments that you keep coming into, uh, date after date, relationship after relationship, or just if you are in a committed relationship, you keep hitting that wall in there. Um, it really can be that missing ingredient of why you're hitting that wall and how to maybe climb that wall and overcome that obstacle for yourself. So speaking of obstacles, as with any aspect in astrology, Juno has a shadow side. And we refer to this with Hera, you know, Juno or Hera, Juno slash Hera, with the vengeful states. So Juno can actually reveal a lot about our, of our insecurities and relationships. And this was actually really delved into very deeply with Elite Daily. Elite Daily really helped me out um, with this, this aspect of Juno. It can be what makes you jealous. You know, Juno's placement can reveal what makes you jealous in a relationship. The deal breakers, you know, what you cannot live without or what are the things that really could really kill a relationship for you. The abuse you will not take in the relationship. Um, if you do take any abuse whatsoever, I mean, um, no one should ever take abuse. Please let me, let's make that clear. But there are some signs I feel that kind of put up with a little bit abuse a bit more than others um, when it comes to Juno's placement. So it's the abuse that you'll take and the, the, uh, the amount that you'll take before you say, nope, I've had enough. This is toxic. I'm, I'm out of here. It also, um, helps us to really see the, how we deal with toxicity in relationships, whether it's 
nope, toxicity is also a deal breaker or whether we're kind of in, in it to kind of work through it and deal with it and really see what comes to light when it comes down to the toxicity in the relationship. With this aspect in mind with Juno, um, again, with the sign and the house, this usually kind of indicates the fears, the insecurities, the relationships that kind of illuminate. But also um, that's where Juno's placement in regards to Pluto can really enlighten why these things happen and how they perpetually come up maybe perpetually come up with every relationship. So like say you're dealing with jealousy and you're dealing with revenge, uh, two aspects that might be the shadow side of Juno in Scorpio, uh, your Pluto placement can reveal why you're still hung up on revenge or why you're, what makes you jealous, why you get jealous, what, what could have you know, spurred that for you um, from childhood. And also why um, revenge is a big thing with you. You know, could it just be something that came from childhood or could it just be something that evolved into adulthood? And really, is there a specific trigger for that when it comes down to relationship needs not being met? Um, for my example, personally, my biggest fear in relationships, and I feel like the biggest fear that really hangs me up from marriage and a committed relationship is I'm always, well, this actually stemmed from teenage years with my cousin. So my cousin and I actually, we had a really very close relationship to where we were almost like best friends. And when he actually turned 15, was where I felt like our relationship really kind of parted ways, really. You know, he had different views of what women should be in his life while I had different views. I mean, I really loved my cousin. I really wanted him to still continue to be my friend forever. But I was also evolving with a lot of different views of what men should look like in my life. And um, I just remembered that in that sense and in that time, my cousin was kind of slipping away from me. And our relationship was kind of like, I, I kind of felt like it was holding water in my hand. It was like it was seeping through my hand and it was sifting you know, through my fingers. And it was dissolving like right under my nose. And for somebody who has an aspect in Taurus, that's a nightmare. Um, that's a huge nightmare to have somebody that you really love and somebody who you really care for slip away from you. Um, however, I remember that in that time, I had this voice in the back of my head that also stated, let him go. Let your cousin go. You know, as much as I was tempted to just like hang on to him for dear life and have a whole tight grasp on him and be really jealous and possessive of our friendship and what the relationship, that familial relationship that we had. Um, I think it was really the Venus in Virgo prompting me to just say, let him go. Or it also could have been the fact that my Juno position is actually quincunxed my Pluto position natally in my natal chart, my Pluto position in Libra. So the Libra side probably could have been that side of just let him go. Because otherwise, he will resent you for hanging on to him. He'll resent you for being possessive. 
He'll resent you for being jealous. He'll resent you if you hold him back. This is his time. This is actually both of your times to grow and to evolve as adults. And um, this is also the time that, you know, you kind of determine what you will accept in relationships as adults and what you want out of relationships as adults and your paths. As much as I didn't want this to happen, our paths were very different and the paths were had to be very different. But, um, you know, all the way around with relationships, I just since then I've had this fear that if I go into a really serious relationship, that that person's going to slip away, that they're going to slip away from the cracks that I'm, I'm going to, you know, never, ever find that love of my life because that person will just move away the moment they, they meet me. They'll depart away from me the moment that they, that they see me or will, will, I think even worse, um, will establish a really close relationship. And once that close relationship is established, then he'll sift through my fingers and evaporate and he won't be in my life anymore. Um, these are the fears, primary fears that I usually have that really hang me up in relationships and also come out when I feel that relationship needs aren't really being met for myself. And I really never verbalized this nor vocalized this until like about now. And I really never realized this until I actually found Juno in my chart and Juno in Taurus. And it's like, it went kind of looking back on this, it was like, wow, this actually makes a lot of sense. It's very revealing. However, looking towards my Pluto relationship as well too, can reveal a lot of, you know, that quincunxed relationship. Perhaps I may have favored the Libran side of letting my cousin go, letting him go his own path. Um, I felt like it was the wisest decision and it probably was a wise decision, but maybe I favored that side a little too much that maybe that uh, Juno side didn't get a lot of love or didn't get a lot of attention. Or maybe that Juno side maybe got a lot of attention at that time in the regard that I have this fear of someone slipping away and that Pluto side is not getting the attention in resolving this conflict and hence why I keep coming up against this wall. Now, how I'm going to fix this well, I think that's going to have to be, that's going to have to be a, a close look at, you know, a close look at the quincunx between Libra and Taurus, you know, Pluto in Libra and Juno in Taurus. I think uh, really it might have to stem from the fact that both signs love the aesthetic. They love romance. They love love. So having a, a sense of love, having a sense of compassion come into this to dissolve the fear that I have of someone slipping away from me. But, you know, um, with many different signs and in different houses, it can be a bit different. Like somebody who has Juno and Scorpio is afraid that somebody is not, you know, their main priorities and what really is very solid for them in relationships and also marriage would be loyalty. And, you know, loyalty is such a point to where the individuals can bear their souls to each other and can really bear the innermost truths of each other. I even think the person who has the Juno placement in Scorpio may want to ideally feel that they, even though they are afraid to bear their souls, that they can feel so secure to actually have that anomaly of bearing their souls. 
to their partner just as much as they want their partner to do with them. And their biggest fear and their biggest insecurity could be that somebody can be disloyal. Um, somebody may break that loyalty and break that bond and therefore break that closeness and really having issues of jealousy, having issues of rage and possibly issues of sudden ab abandonment of the relationship come up as well too. Um, for many different signs of the Zodiac, it's, it's all very different. And like I said, these are things that, again, it's like peeling back the onion, stargazers. It, it'll hurt, but sometimes it's very revelatory to find that, that side of you in the relationship. It's also very important to consider the house that Juno's also in because that will reveal how that insecurity also comes up too. You know, for me, um, ironically, even though I would love to have a close relationship, I'd love to have a tight-knit relationship, having Juno in the ninth house also indicates I need my freedom. And so when somebody is like overbearing, like they're really desperate for merit, like say if they have a Juno placement in Libra um, and they really would like a marriage, sometimes that can feel and they come across as a re really overbearing about it. Or if they have like, say, Juno, not only in Libra, but also in the seventh house, um, you know, to expect that commitment from me can feel like the, the oxygen is sucked out of the the room and can feel rather suffocating. So there is also a sense of having individual space. Like we can be close, but still have our own individual lives and have our own individual spaces as well. For someone who might have, again, Juno in the first house in Scorpio, um, that person may feel that it's very important, you know, like um, the insecurity that could come out would be that, again, this person could be so overbearing, the relationship can be so passionate and so full of chemistry and romance that it takes over their solidarity in the relationship. And so issues of, you know, who am I in the relationship? How can I be my own independent person as well as be a person in the relationship can come up. And, you know, if the relationship is taking over precedence over this person's individual growth, that can cause a little bit of fear and insecurity in that regard. So in kind of resolving that, it would be having that discourse of how to balance being me with how to balance being me in the relationship. Um, very wonderful first house themes. So um, before I get into the sample chart, I do just want to take a look at what have we, what could we learn from Juno when it comes down to the insecurities and how can we repair that? So I think the biggest thing that I saw and that I kept mentioning was obviously issues of jealousy, obviously issues of how we take abuse or all these shadow sides of Juno obviously arise when we're not getting what we need out of the relationship. And I think that's where Juno kind of teaches us how to look for what we really value in our relationship and why we value the things that we value. Also, how we can stay committed to those values. You know, like for somebody who has Juno in Scorpio, 
really staying committed to loyalty as that value. What does that look like in the relationship? Why, why is that so important to you? And really answering those tough questions. Uh, for someone who would have Juno say in Libra, where um, commitment is very, very keen um, in that relationship and very important. Also balance and harmony. Um, not only what does that look like in the relationship when you're, you know, in, you know, wanting to get married or wanting to have that committed relationship, but how can that be encompassed and how can you stay true to those core values? For me, what I'm trying to wrestle with, with, um, Juno and Taurus is, uh, how to wrestle with security. What does that look like for me? And also considering the financial side of Taurus too, what does that look like for me? And, you know, what are my values with that? And how can I embody that value when going into a relationship? Again, um, these are matters that are very deep thinking and really, um, I think it kind of is mentioned in Elite Daily, Juno takes time to understand. And I think that's true with a lot of the asteroids and their themes. It's like it, it they deal with very heavy soul hitting themes that it takes a lot of soul searching. It takes some time to develop and to understand and kind of get the flow and the hang and the rhythm. I wouldn't be surprised if even married people um, still wrestle with their Juno placement and what it actually means for them in that particular space and in that particular time. Also, Elite Daily had mentioned that it defines your ideal mate. Juno's positioner chart can define your ideal mate. Um, obviously, with what we value, taking into what account that what we value. I think if we take into account of what we value, another lesson from Juno is sometimes we actually might actually attract the ideal mate to us as well, too. You know, it's not only just finding the ideal mate, but we also might attract that if we know what we want walking into the relationship and obviously getting our needs met. That's, that's, I think is the bottom line. How many times we walk into relationships, we, we, and I mean, I'm equally guilty of this as well, but how many times do we walk into relationships and we have kind of a lukewarm milk toast idea of what really truly is one of our values, our wonderful sustaining core values that we cannot live without. It's one of our necessities in a relationship. And how many times do we always settle for less because we think we've stumbled upon a great relationship and we really haven't? Or how many times do we settle for subpar and not get our needs met? You know, or how many times do we feel like kind of depleted almost in trying to make a relationship that's not meant to be for us work? because of that, you know, that shaky value of our core values. So again, in knowing our core values with Juno's placement in our chart, how to move forward with that relationship and how to proceed accordingly, and also really which relationships are the best for us. In a way, I wouldn't be surprised if Juno is also uh, has a little bit of a relation with the North Node um, in revealing our destiny. In our relationship, what our what relationships are actually really indestined for us? If you want to go for destiny or fate, or um, if you'd rather prefer the what's meant for us version, definitely what might be meant for us um, in the long term. And again, 
things that these things are not easy. So don't be surprised if this takes a little bit of trial and error when you find Juno in your chart. Um, it's very normal to have that trial and error. Um, I just discovered my Juno placement and I feel like I'm going through trial and error right now as well too, when it comes to, you know, the, the ideals and illuminating and shedding light on that. So stargazers, I wanted to do something a little reverent and as well as something that might help to enlighten Juno for us. But um, in order to enlighten Juno for us, out of reverence for Queen Elizabeth, um, I may not have agreed with Queen Elizabeth every single step of the way, but you know, I do value the fact that she did everything she possibly could for the state of England and for her country. It's a shame that she had passed on just this last week. It's actually very sad. I do have to say she did live a very wonderful long life um, as England's reigning monarch. And I think that she will be sorely missed, honestly, with her vigor and really her spirit, I think will be sorely missed within England. And I think really um, it'll be very, for me, it'll be kind of weird to be without her. You know, I, she'll be missed in that regard. It's like, it'll be weird to not see her. Um, in everyday press affairs and in everyday current events. But to honor her, I thought I would actually take a look at Juno in her chart, how that relates to Venus and Mars and what she valued in her marriage, um, but also what might have been hangups for her as well, too. So we're going to take a little quick pause for the cause and we will come right back. All right, and we're back with the chart of Queen Elizabeth. So Queen Elizabeth's Juno placement was actually in Aquarius in her first house, actually. And um, Aquarius in the first house, her values and what that would be, would be basically she would you know value invention, and really value not only humanitarianism, but really inventiveness and also um, independence and thinking outside the box, really, especially when it came to the monarchy or the, the, the patriarchy, the monarchy, the royal, the royalty of England. And when it came to England's affairs, the more that she could be inventive, the more that the relationship could be inventive as well, too, the better as well. And uh, that was really a huge value for her in the relationship. In regards to her Mars position, her Mars position was also in Aquarius at that time, at the time of her birth. So really, um, when it came down to sexual matters, it was really right on par. Sexual matters was very inventive, very creative, very spontaneous as well, too. And uh, really kind of met her needs within relationship settings. Venus was a little bit interesting. Um, Venus, Her Venus position was actually in Pisces, which is a really ideal place for Venus to be. But with Venus, um, she really usually, she really craved on the outside a lot of compassion and sweetness and a lot of love, really, you know, just really love in the purest form. 
all the way around. And being semi-squared, Juno's placement in Aquarius, where inventiveness, as I've mentioned, invention um, was really reigning supreme for her. I feel like um, it kind of came at odds, you know, like the the people that she would meet, um, obviously, People that she'd meet would probably be very compassionate or she would, you know, be very compassionate to them and possibly attract those sort of compassionate individuals only to be met with this stark contrast of wanting inventiveness or wanting this person to think outside the box. And really that a lot of people may not have been able to do that for her as well. So I could see that being um, an issue where insecurities could play out in this, this little conflict that's going on between wanting, you know, between, um, you know, attracting somebody who's compassionate, but not really very inventive, you know, maybe boredom resulted for her as a shadow side. Looking at her Pluto placement, which is actually um, quincunxed her Juno placement, um, kind of similar to what I deal with with my Pluto placement, probably that sense of boredom as well so Pluto was actually positioned in another very nurturing sign that's in Cancer. So again, Pluto, again, could have provided, and with that quincunx, could have provided a really a big conflict between wanting inventiveness and really valuing inventiveness in the relationship, and then also craving a little bit of tender moments and softer moments and nurturing moments in the relationship that like, as I've mentioned, both Venus as well, or Venus placement, as well as the Pluto placement really reemphasizes being in two water signs that really emphasize being close, um, really, you know, emphasizing the individual, like being nurturing and being very close to an individual. And really, like I said, what would stem from that would be also kind of maybe a conflict of what do I really want in a relationship? Do I want sweetness? Do I want tenderness? Or do I want somebody who can be inventive, somebody who can be, um, you know, can think outside the box or somebody who can also think in a humanitarian way? I think the last part, the thinking in a humanitarian way and for humanitarian causes could have bridged some of the the, the, the tug of war that she really felt between her needs with her Juno placement as well, um, and then also her Venus and Pluto placements as well, too. So there are times where I kind of feel like she, I think the insecurity was, what do I really want? Which, which, uh, which side of the relationship can I really have? And what do I really want in that relationship? And, and why? And I feel like, um, again, when she focused more on the humanitarian side or the more human side, I'd say the more humanitarian side of the relationship was where it kind of patched up for her all the way around. Well, Stargazers, I really hope that this episode on Juno was informative um, I know throughout the week, even though I've rehearsed it throughout the week, it still felt like a very spontaneous sort of episode where it's like uh, new revelations kind of came up to the surface. And maybe that is also 
little bit indicative of the nature of Juno as well. Um, I hope that you guys do find your Juno placements and hey, let me know what, uh, which signs and which houses do you find them um, to be within and do you, is this very revelatory or do you find that uh, Juno themes actually already play out in your relationships and already play out in your life? Um, definitely give me some comments in either the comment section of this podcast or either at misek, M-I-S-E-K dot Sandra at gmail.com or on my Instagram feed at Sandra at uh, misek, M-I-S-E-K dot Sandra. Um, and that's also S-A-N-D-R-A. And uh, give, you know, post there as well, too. Give me your input. Give me your insights as well. But above all, stargazers, do not be afraid to look up at the stars. Uh, we had a gorgeous, gorgeous full moon as of last night in Pisces. In fact, I think she is still rising and she's going to be very gorgeous, even though she has shifted to Aries. She's going to be super gorgeous tonight as well, too. So we have a lot of luminaries that are not only illuminated, but also we have the spectacle of the full moon right right here uh, on this earthly plane, which is always what lovely. But above all, looking up at the stars not only gives us the origins of astrology, but also gives us time to pause especially if you've had the week like I've had the day after the week after Labor Day and the day after Labor Day. Oh man, talk about crazy. And also not to mention that we've had some, some sorts of crazy going on astrologically. One being of Mercury retrograde and Libra. I don't know about you, but I'm already starting to feel the effects just a little bit. I'm starting to feel a little bit of the, the foggy headedness and also Feeling like uh, life is just not really listening to me very much, which can happen during Mercury Retrograde. So um, definitely check out my Mercury Retrograde episode if you do want tips and tricks of how to deal with this tricky transit because it's just way too much fun. I can't tell you. But if you ever do need a pause, do not be afraid to look up at the stars and look up at the night sky. And above all, stargazers, between, despite Mercury Retrograde, Despite Uranus retrograde and all sorts of retrogrades that are happening with the generational planets right now, um, I do hope that you guys are well, that, um, you know, again, avoid any accidents that are happen happening with Uranus retrograde right now. Um, definitely make sure that you're taking it slowly and mindfully when it comes to the uh, Mercury retrograde. And above all, between now and next week, Stargazers, be well, and I will see you then.